When I was a kid, the house I grew up in had a pool in the backyard, and there was a fence around that pool, and of course there was a gate that opened in the fence to let you in and out of the pool. And um, I remember one particular summer day going out to the pool and opening the latch to the fence and then stepping on the pipe, because it was a metal fence that was at the bottom of the gate, and swinging open, swinging the gate open while I was riding it, which caused the gate to fall off of its hinges and onto the, the deck around the pool. This caused me quite a bit of fear, because I had broken something, and I knew that there would be consequences for breaking it. And then, as now, I have no um, ability whatsoever to fix anything. And so while I tried to repair the gate myself, I was unsuccessful in doing so. So when my dad got home from work that evening, I immediately went to him and told him about the gate. Except the story I told him was a little different than what happened. What I told him was, I opened the gate, I opened the latch and pushed open the gate and it fell off the hinges. Now, some of that is true. The part that isn't true and the part that made it false was the part that I omitted about the fact that I was standing on the gate when it was swinging open, putting extra pressure, obviously, on the hinges that it could not stand and causing it to fall off the, gate, the, uh, the, the fence. In other words, because of my fear of consequences, I lied about what I did and what happened. Now, there really wasn't any reason to lie. My dad is not an angry person, and he certainly wouldn't have done anything un, um, un, inappropriate had I been honest about what had happened. Also, he was able to quickly fix the gate. It really wasn't that big a deal. I hadn't done any real damage to it. He was able to fix it very quickly. He did say something about, you guys are always swinging on this thing. So, you know, I'm sure he would have been a little bit more upset with me if uh, I had been fully honest about what had happened. But I don't think that it would have brought any severe or dire consequences into my life. But the fear of what might happen, the fear of what it might cost us to fix the gate, and the fear of just displeasing my father tempted me to sin. It tempted me to be dishonest. It tempted me to tell a lie. And I gave in to that temptation because of my fear. People lie for many reasons. They lie to deceive people into doing things they otherwise wouldn't do. Like when someone says, we've never had any problems with the roof at this house, when they're trying to sell you the house, when in fact the roof may leak already. Okay? People lie for many reasons. They just try to deceive you into doing something that you wouldn't do if you had all the information, for instance. Or they try to make themselves look good in front of you by telling a lie and being dishonest about who they are and what they're about. But one of the major reasons why people tell lies, in my experience, is because people are afraid. One of the major things that leads people to be tempted to lie and causes them to lie is fear. Fear puts people in the temptation zone for dishonesty. Or to put it this way, fear tempts people to lie. Fear tempts people to lie. Some of this might be the fear of responsibility for what they've done, as it was in my case with the gate around the pool. But sometimes it's fear of others. 
that, caught, that tempts people to lie. Sometimes because we want to be accepted by other people, we are tempted to lie. Or we don't want to be rejected by other people, we may be tempted to lie. Fear is one of the major motivators behind why people are dishonest and why they lie. And this not only is true in our lives as children or in our social situations or when we may have broken the law and are fearful about the consequences of it. The truth of the matter is that fear tempts us to lie not only in every area of life that we can think of, it also works in our spiritual life as well. Just as fear tempts people to lie in many walks of life, The truth of the matter is that fear tempts us to lie about following Jesus Christ. Fear tempts us to lie about following Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to find yourself in situations where it's going to be uncomfortable for people to know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And that opens the door to to temptation, to be less than honest about who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. This morning, as we come to Luke chapter 22, we come to the near the end of Jesus's life. And just a few paragraphs before this, a few messages before this one, Jesus has gathered with his disciples in what is called the upper room. It was an elevated room where he enjoyed what is called the last supper with his disciples. And Jesus has told the disciples that that very night he would be betrayed by one of them and he would be arrested and taken away and ultimately executed, crucified. And he has warned the disciples that this is going to happen. And we have seen not only as Christ and the disciples uh, shared that final meal together, but we've already seen how they have left the upper room and they've gone into the garden called Gethsemane. And there, Judas, the one who did betray Jesus, has brought a band of soldiers and others to come and arrest Jesus Christ, just as Christ prophesied that they would. And other passages of Scripture that contain this same story from the life of Christ tell us that as a result of Christ's arrest, most of the disciples, all of the other disciples other than Peter, have fled into the night. They're terrified of being associated with Jesus Christ and worried about also facing arrest and possible execution for being his followers. And so they've gotten away from the situation as quickly as possible. But one of his disciples, the one who often identified as the leader of the disciples, the one who had just a few, less than an hour probably before, had told Jesus, I'll do anything for you. I'll I'll be arrested. I'll go to death for you, Jesus. The very disciple who took out a sword and tried to defend Jesus from those who were arresting him. The Bible tells us that he did not flee into the night with the other disciples. Instead, according to verse 54, the Bible says, Then seizing him, that's Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And so Simon Peter, the um, most upfront and vocal leader of the followers of Jesus Christ, wants to find out what is going to happen with Jesus. And so while he doesn't completely identify with Christ in his arrest, he does follow Jesus to see what the outcome of his arrest will be. 
And verse 54 tells us that after arresting Jesus and removing him from the Garden of Gethsemane, they took him back into the city of Jerusalem. And it says at the end of verse 54, they took him to the house of the high priest. Now, Jesus is going to face a couple of different trials on this night that he is betrayed. He'll face what is sort of a religious trial, and then he'll face sort of a a civil, not a civil, a criminal trial. And we'll see those in coming messages. But before he faces the religious trial and the criminal trial, he also faces sort of an informal hearing at the home of the high priest. And this is uh, what is going on when when Peter, uh, the incident described in our passage this morning regarding Simon Peter happened. Christ is undergoing this informal sort of preliminary examination before the high priest. And remember that the situation happens late at night. It's after the sun has gone down and the Passover meal has been observed. It's dark out and Christ has been arrested and taken into the home of the high priest. This was all by design so that Christ could be taken secretly away from the thousands of people, the crowds that followed him everywhere. And now he is in the home of the high priest and he is being examined by the high priest. Peter can see perhaps through a door that's left open or through a window. He can can sort of see what is going on with Jesus. And he's interested and curious about what will happen next. But Peter's also fearful about the situation before him. He knows that he has publicly been a follower of Jesus Christ. He knows that he has said things and done things that would cause him to stick out among the followers of Jesus Christ and be identified by someone who paid attention to Jesus and his ministry. And so Peter here is dealing with the fear that comes from being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And although what Peter goes through and the fear that he, that both the circumstances he uh, goes through in this passage of Scripture and the fears that he experiences in this passage of Scripture, those are unique to Peter in many ways. The truth of the matter is, though, that every follower of Jesus Christ is going to face some kind of situation, and probably multiple situations, where you will feel fear about being associated with Jesus Christ. You will feel fearful about being a follower of Jesus Christ. And as we look at the incident of Peter's denials of Christ, we see that denying Christ, as we typically talk about, Peter denied Jesus three times, we typically say. We understand that this denial means lying. It means lying about his association with Jesus Christ. And just as Peter felt fear and that fear tempted him to lie about being a follower of Jesus Christ, I think we'll see in this passage that we also at times as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, feel fear and are tempted to lie about being followers of Jesus Christ. So what are the circumstances? under which we'll be led by fear to be tempted to lie about being followers of Jesus Christ. Well, the first situation happens when we are tempted to lie, when following Jesus costs us social acceptance. One of the ways in which Christians feel the temptation to lie about being followers of Jesus Christ is when we fear losing social acceptance. Look with me, please, at verse 55 again. It says, and when, when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. 
This gives us the situation behind Peter's first denial of Jesus Christ, the first time he lied about being a follower of Jesus Christ. And we need to remember what the last uh, several hours have been like for Jesus. The Bible tells us in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus, or that Peter and the other disciples were exhausted from sorrow, and that sorrow they felt was because of the prophecy of Christ that he would be arrested and betrayed and arrested and then ultimately crucified. And so Peter is feeling quite emotional about what is happening with Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus has said would happen is now happening right before his very eyes, and all of it is negative. All of it is terrifying to him. And for the past three years, Peter has really given up his life to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He had a successful business fishing up in the northern part of Israel, He fished the Sea of Galilee along with his business partners. And when Jesus came along three years before this and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, he obeyed the call of Christ and spent the next three years following Jesus around to the towns and villages of Israel and even here to Jerusalem in the southern part of Israel. He has followed Jesus and he has been with a band of brothers also selected by Christ himself. These men through the, the, the many days that they have spent together over the past three years, have heard the teachings of Christ and believe them. And they've seen the miraculous powers of Jesus Christ. And they've experienced those miraculous powers in their own lives where Christ sent them out to do miracles on his behalf. And they've taught in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter himself walked on water at the invitation of Jesus Christ. These men have lived together. They've formed a new community because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But now, Peter is all alone. Christ stands alone on trial, and Peter stands alone outside his trial, with none of his friends around him, no longer in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ, and fearful about what what this might mean for him. All that he had given up over the last three years looks like it's about to evaporate completely. All of the relationships that he has built seem like they're gone because all of the other disciples have fled into the night. And so when verse 55 tells us that a group of people have kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and Peter sat down with them, what we are to understand is that Peter is trying to sort of fade into this group in a way that he'll be accepted. Now, this group of people probably is a group of people who were the servants, the slaves of the high priest. And many of these people, maybe all of them, accompanied the band that came to arrest Jesus. Remember when they came to arrest Jesus, they wanted to come with an overwhelming show of force. And so they brought as many soldiers as they could from different walks of life. They all came armed and they probably brought as many people as possible, which probably meant even these servants. And so the people that Peter is trying to blend in with here probably were in the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested. They probably saw Peter take out his sword and cut off Malchus's ear, one of the servants that came along with the high priest. And now Peter is trying to fade in with this group. They are outside the high priest's house, according to verse 55. There's a courtyard there. And one of these servants, because they know they're going to be up all night, just in case 
um, they are needed to do some task. They know they're not going to bed anytime soon, and so they make a fire. And as fires often do in situations like this, they become communal things. People gather around a fire and they talk. And the Bible says that Peter sat down with them. This, the, the, the point of this uh, part of the narrative is to tell us that he's seeking some inclusion. He wants to feel included with the group. He wants them to accept him even though they don't know him. And even though he is a foreigner to them. In verse 56, it says, And a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, maybe even pointing to Jesus. She looks at Peter, and she's seen Jesus perhaps in the city of Jerusalem teaching. And she knows that there was a large crowd following. She may have been there in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was arrested. She may have seen Peter cut off the servant's ear when he took out his sword. She looks closely at this stranger who's now sat down around the fire and is just trying to blend in with the group. And she says, hey guys, this dude was one of Jesus' followers. He was one of the guys who followed Jesus around. He was with him. And the temptation that Peter experienced here was the temptation to lie because being honest about being a follower of Jesus Christ would certainly exclude him from the group. He would lose the only sense of belonging that he had left. And so verse 56 uh, or verse 57 goes on and says, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. He said, and the word, the phrase, I don't know him is, is stronger than it comes across in our English Bible. And actually the word that's translated this way, it's a word that later on in the New Testament came to, uh, to mean to disown Jesus Christ, like people who actually walked away from their faith and renounced him. That's what Peter did. In the strongest possible terms, he refused to be associated as a follower of Jesus Christ so that he could be accepted by this group of people who did not believe in Jesus Christ. For those of us who do follow the Lord Jesus Christ, for those of us who have come to know Him by faith, we will face times in our lives where we will have a choice between being accepted by people we want social acceptance from or being honest about our faith and being followers of Jesus Christ. In other words, just like Peter was tempted to lie and did lie, when when following Christ and being associated with Christ meant losing the little bit of social acceptance he had at this time, so you and I at times, as followers of Jesus Christ, will be tempted to lie when following Jesus Christ means losing social acceptance. And this can happen at multiple times in our life. It can happen when someone maybe grows up in the church, grows up in a Christian family, but perhaps they go off to college, they go away to college, and all of a sudden they're cut off from their social circles. They no longer have the uh, acceptance of family and the routines of their family life as Christians. They no longer have a church that they attend and where they are known and, and accepted and loved, and now they're in a different city in a different environment, they have no friends, they might have a roommate that they've never met before, 
And if those people aren't Christians, if they don't encounter Christians immediately or seek out Christian community, there can be a strong temptation to to either de-emphasize or speak nothing of being a follower of Jesus Christ or to join in with others who mock those who follow Jesus Christ. The desire for social acceptance is very strong among all of us as people. And the temptation that we face as Christians can be to lie about our faith in Jesus Christ, to lie about being followers of Jesus Christ in order to maintain the social acceptance that we all crave as people. Maybe you've encountered this. Maybe you've encountered this in a new job situation where you've gone in and no one, none of your coworkers are followers of Christ. And the choice you have in that moment is, will you do things and say things and tell people that you're a follower of Jesus or will you just be quiet about it? And maybe even join in when our faith is mocked and others who follow Jesus Christ are not accepted. Fear tempts us to lie about being followers of Jesus Christ. And one of those fears is the fear of losing our social acceptance. And the Bible indicates this more than just in this moment in the life of Peter. In fact, there are many places where the scriptures talk about how people had this internal tug where they believed in Jesus and wanted to follow him, and yet the cost, socially speaking, made it hard for them. Here's one of the places where this is indicated in the Gospels. In John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, the scripture says, Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith. Why not? For fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. The synagogue was the place of worship for Jewish people. It was the center of community life in every village and town and city in Israel. The people who were excluded in the synagogue, from the synagogue not only couldn't go there to worship, but they were looked at as outcasts and strangers in society at whole. People would stop doing business with you if you weren't part of the synagogue. And so the fear of losing social acceptance was strong when it came to the early followers of Christ. And the passage goes on to say this, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. As a follower of Jesus, Peter felt the fear that comes from being excluded from social acceptance because he was a follower of Christ. And you and I as Christ's followers will also face that fear. We also face the temptation to lie about our faith in Christ in order to blend in with the crowd. And maybe you've already felt that. Maybe you've already lied about your faith in Christ in order to be accepted by others. That comes from fear. The passage goes on and tells us that this same group of people, these same servants outside the high priest's home, continued to wonder about Peter. They continued to talk about the situation. They continued to try to figure out what was going on with Peter's attendance with them. And so the scripture continues in verse 58 and says, a little while later, someone else saw him. And other passages of scripture that record this incident, other incidents in the gospel, other records in the gospel of this time in the life of Christ, tell us that Peter has actually moved away from the fire. See, he's trying to get out of the spotlight a little bit. He's trying to get the heat no pun intended, taken off of him by moving away from the fire and he's now on the porch of the house, maybe getting a little bit better look at Jesus and what's going on, but also 
getting away from the accusations. And yet he doesn't get away from the accusation. Because verse 58 goes on to say, this someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Now here the um, opportunity to deny his faith in Christ presents itself again. But things have changed a little bit. In the first instance, it was a slave girl. And she didn't confront Peter directly. She didn't say, you're a follower of Christ. She confronted him indirectly by pointing out to her friends, the people that she knew, that he didn't belong with them because he was a follower of Christ. Her, um, the temptation that Peter encountered in the first instance was indirect. And it was from someone who truly could not hurt him. This slave girl really did not have the power to cause Peter to be arrested or to cause him to be physically harmed because of his faith in Christ. Now, however, things have changed and someone directly accuses Peter of being a follower of Christ. But he also changes in another way. The slave girl who first um, caused Peter to be tempted to deny knowing Jesus Christ phrased her accusation in a way that associated Peter with Christ himself. Remember again in uh, verse 56 it says, this man was with him. This man was with Jesus. She pointed out that he was a follower of Jesus. This second accusation is different. This person accuses Peter directly of being part of the group that followed Jesus Christ. Notice again in verse 58, it says, you also are one of them. Now the focus has shifted a little bit. And instead of talking about this man's association with Jesus Christ, he talks about Peter's association with others who were associated with Jesus Christ. And this leads us to the second temptation to lie that you may face in your life as a Christian. We're not only tempted to lie when following Jesus costs us social acceptance, but we're also tempted to lie when we fear being associated with other followers of Jesus. We're tempted to lie about being a follower of Jesus when we fear being associated with other followers of Jesus. This person said, you are also one of them. And Peter gave into the temptation. At the end of verse 58, he said, man, I am not. A direct rebuttal of the idea that he was one of the many followers of Jesus Christ. Now, the truth of the matter is that the followers of Jesus Christ are not always the kind of crowd that you want to be associated with. There are many people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, and some of them, as you know, can be not the most kind or nicest people to be around. Some followers of Jesus Christ are maybe not the most affluent people in the world. Some of them are maybe not the most um, socially acceptable people in the world. And so sometimes the temptation that we face to deny Jesus Christ has less to do about our faith in Christ and more to do with not being lumped in with, with a group of people that may not be accepted by other people. That's what's going on in this passage of Scripture. And people like you and me as Christians, sometimes we want to be sort of loners in our faith. We don't want to necessarily be associated with other people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. And when you face the accusation and you maybe 
um, are accused of being a Christian, you might say, well, I, I, I am, but I'm not one of those kinds of Christians. I'm not bigoted like those kinds of Christians. I'm not backward. I'm not anti-science. I'm not anti-whatever is popular in our culture. That's the temptation, is to be lumped in with a group of people that are despised by the group of people accusing you of being a Christian. And this is another temptation we face. In 2002, a best-selling author named Anne Rice publicly proclaimed that she was a follower of Jesus Christ. But in 2010, eight years later, she wrote on her Facebook page that she quit being a Christian. That was the word she used. Today, I quit being a Christian. But then she wrote this. She says, I can't belong to this, quote, quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. Her, her quitting being a Christian had less to do with, about, with Jesus than it did with not wanting to be associated with people like you and me and other people who call ourselves Christians. She went on to say this in her Facebook post. For 10 years, I've tried. I've failed. I'm an outsider. Later, she added, following Christ does not mean following his followers. Sometimes we face a direct temptation to deny our association with Jesus Christ. Sometimes the temptation is more subtle and it's more indirect, and we don't want to be associated with other followers of Jesus Christ. But the truth of the matter is, if you don't identify with the people of God, then you don't identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're tempted to lie because you don't want to be associated with other followers of Jesus Christ, then you find yourself facing the same type of temptation that Peter faced and failed at in this passage. Peter's third denial of Jesus Christ brings another aspect of lying about our faith in Christ into focus. And we see that in verses 59 and 60. Verse 59 says, about an hour later, so some time has passed, but we're still talking about the same group of people. Perhaps other conversations had been going on and not everyone was party to these two accusations against Peter. But the same group of people are talking about him and why he doesn't belong. And so verse 59 says, about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him. So it's the same accusation as the first time. Yes, you were a follower of Jesus. You belonged with him. You followed him around. You believe in him. But then he gives some evidence. He gives some proof of this claim. And he says, for he is a Galilean. Now we have to understand um, a little bit about the culture in which uh, this happened. Israel had two basic areas, the northern part called Galilee and the southern part called Judea. Jerusalem, where Jesus was betrayed and, and tried and crucified, is in the southern part. It's in Judea. Galilee is where Peter was from. Galilee is where all of the disciples except one were from. It's where Jesus himself was from. And according to the Gospels, it seems to be where Jesus spent the vast majority of his time. Jesus spent most of his time teaching and preaching in villages and towns in the northern part of Israel called Galilee. And the people who lived in Galilee were looked at differently than the people who lived in the south in Judea. The people in Galilee, they were shepherds and fishermen and tradespeople. They were working class kind of people. The people in the south in Judea may have done some of those professions, 
but they were more cultured, more educated. They lived near the city, the, the ultimate city, the city of Jerusalem. See, they were more urban and more urbane than those Galileans up north. And just like in our nation, they had a different accent. And in fact, other gospel accounts of this passage tell us that it was Peter's Galilean accent that caused this man to make this accusation. What's going on in this passage is this person is still trying to, is still puzzling over why Peter's here, and he knows he doesn't belong, and he believes he belongs to Jesus. And so he gives some evidence for his belief. His evidence was pretty flimsy, it was very circumstantial. Just the way that he talked was to him proof that he belonged to Jesus. And the truth of the matter is that sometimes, even though we may like to be undercover Christians, even though we may like to follow Jesus incognito, even though we may fancy ourselves spies for the kingdom of God, we still do things that kind of give away our identity. And someone might pick up on that and use that as evidence against us. And so we're not only tempted to lie when we, about our faith in Christ when we might lose social acceptance, and we're not only tempted to lie when we fear being associated with followers of Jesus Christ, but thirdly, we might be tempted to lie, and we are tempted to lie, when we fear that the evidence against us proves that we're followers of Christ. Maybe someone you work with has seen you bow your head before you pray over, before you have lunch. And that little act of just kind of nodding your head, even if you try to do it as inconspicuously as possible, maybe that gives it away to them if they, were, if they grew up in the Christian faith but walked away from it. Maybe someone who knows you has seen you carrying a Bible or looking at a Bible verse. Maybe in those, back in the situation like involving college students, maybe they've seen you go off to a gathering of Christians or talking to someone who is trying to evangelize. The truth of the matter is that even though sometimes as Christians we try not to, make, not to be too public about our faith, sometimes people watch us and they see certain pieces of evidence in the way that we act and the way that we talk, and that evidence sort of tips off the fact that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And when we're confronted with the evidence of being followers of Jesus Christ, sometimes we may be tempted to lie about our faith in Jesus Christ. That's where Peter was. Even though the evidence against him was flimsy, Peter felt very fearful. And so, according to the Scripture, verse, in verse 60, Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. In this, in this way, he's trying to disclaim any knowledge of Jesus whatsoever. You see, there were people who heard Jesus speak who weren't followers of his. And so the fact that Peter might have heard Jesus speak didn't necessarily make him a follower of Christ. And there were other people who may have palled around with followers of Jesus Christ who were also not followers of Christ themselves. And so the fact that Peter might have been uh, a Galilean who knew other disciples of Jesus, that's not proof positive of his faith in Jesus Christ. And neither is the fact that he spoke with a Galilean accent. And yet Peter is so defensive. He is so concerned about not being associated with Jesus, that he says, I don't know anything about this person you're talking about. I don't have the slightest clue what you mean when you accuse me of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And the other gospel accounts tell us that Peter actually began cursing and swearing when this accusation was made, this third one. In other words, he's trying to provide counter evidence 
to being a follower of Jesus Christ. He's trying to show himself to be just as non-Christian as the people who were accusing him of being a Christian. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever tried to provide counter-evidence against those who accuse you of being a follower of Jesus Christ? If it hasn't happened to you, it probably will. The temptation, at least, to try to act more pagan, to try to fit in with others and counterbalance the evidence against you as a Christian can be very strong, and it can lead us to lie about our faith in Christ. Why? Because we are afraid. We are afraid of what others think of us. We are afraid of how they might treat us. We are afraid of the negative consequences associated with becoming a follower and being identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's where Peter was. The boldest of his disciples when he was with Jesus is now cowering in fear in front of a servant girl and others. Because fear tempts us to lie about following Jesus. So what's the solution? The answer is we need to prepare. And that's the big idea of this message. That's the point to take away from this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be put in a situation where you're tempted to lie about being a follower of Jesus. So you better prepare in advance. Prepare yourself so that fear won't tempt you to lie about being a follower of Jesus. Let me talk about this from a few different uh, perspectives. The first is that Christ told us that we would face temptation to lie about being his follower. Jesus tried to prepare us by telling us that this is what happens to his followers. In verse 61, we read these words. At the end of verse 60, it says, just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Remember that in the, in the upper room before they left to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter says, I'll stand with you no matter what, Jesus. I'll go to the death with you. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows, in other words, before the sun comes up and it's time to get up in the morning, before the day dawns, you'll deny me three times. And now just as Christ prophesied, just as he tried to prepare Peter that this day was coming and this time was coming, just as he prophesied, The rooster crows as Peter denies Jesus the third time. And then verse 61 says this, The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? That Christ who was being examined, whose life is on the line, who knows what is about to happen to him in the next few hours, somehow has the presence of mind to turn and look at Peter, his beloved disciple who wanted nothing to do with him. But Jesus tried to prepare Peter and tried to prepare us for this. The the circumstances here that we are given show us that just as Christ had prophesied, everything that he said about Peter had happened. In other words, he tried to prepare Peter for this moment. And had Peter taken his warning seriously, he could have avoided the embarrassment and the shame before Christ of denying him. And it's true for us as well. Christ has told us throughout the scriptures, and the scriptures tell us, that you and I will face temptation to be to lie about whether or not we're followers of Christ. If this has never happened, it probably has happened to you if you're a follower of Jesus. If it hasn't, trust me, it will. At some point in your life, you'll face the temptation to not be public about your faith in Christ. The scriptures warn us of this. And so Christ told us then, therefore, because this is happening, he told us to prepare. 
for the temptation to deny him. Because all followers of Jesus eventually get called publicly on our faith in Christ, we should prepare and be ready for when it happens. And Christ told us to prepare. Now, he told us how to do it. How do we prepare for the temptation to deny Jesus Christ? Well, we first of all prepare by fearing God more than we fear other people. The best way to avoid the fear of other people regarding your faith is to fear God more than you fear them. And that's what Jesus told us to do. In Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 5, the scripture says, Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. That was the extreme, the, 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 um, the possibility that Peter was fearful of, above all, that he would have to join Jesus on the cross and that someone might kill him. But Jesus says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, can do more, no, no more. But I will show you who you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, Jesus said, fear him. And please understand that this is not the devil that he is talking about. He is not telling us to fear the devil. The devil does not send people to hell. God the Father, the righteous judge, and Christ himself the executioner of God's judgment on the last day. He is the one who sends people to hell. And the Bible says, if you want to overcome the fear of man, even the fear of dying as a persecuted believer in Jesus Christ, you need to fear God more than you fear other people. You need to cultivate the fear of God by cultivating your spiritual life. And this is one reason why faithful scripture reading and faithful attendance in church is important. Because when you say you're a follower of Christ, but you don't read the Word of God, and you don't worship God with God's people, the reality of God becomes more and more distant. You've felt this, haven't you? You've, you've had times in your life where you've slacked off from reading God's Word, where you've maybe fallen away from the church for a time, and the reality of who God is becomes more and more remote. It becomes more and more dim to you. And as the reality of who God is becomes more dim to us, then the fear of man becomes stronger for us. The best way to prepare not to deny the Lord Jesus Christ and to lie about being his follower is to fear God more than you fear others. And you cultivate the fear of God by reading his word, seeing God as he is revealed there, noting his greatness and his glory and his majesty and his power and all that he has done for us in Christ. And when you care about God and His acceptance more than you care about the acceptance and fear of man, you'll have the strength not to deny the Lord when the temptation comes. We prepare by fearing God more than we fear others. And Peter did eventually learn this lesson. He did eventually learn how to strengthen himself against the accusations and the temptations that come with being a follower of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter, a letter he wrote, chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, Peter, the very man who failed here, wrote these words, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Fear Christ as Lord. Set him apart as Lord in your life. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
Someone is going to put you on the spot about your faith in Christ. And either you're going to be ready for that because you fear God and you've thought about the answer you'll give, or like Peter, you'll be unprepared and the temptation to lie will be very strong for you. If you want to be faithful to God and identify yourself as a Christian in those moments of temptation, you need to prepare. You need to prepare by cultivating the fear of God and having your answer ready. We prepare by fearing God more than we fear others. We also prepare by praying for God's grace to overcome temptation. This is what Jesus told the disciples to do. After he told Peter that, they would deny, that he would deny him three times, and after he told the disciples, all of you will flee and act like you don't know me when I'm arrested, what did Jesus do? He told them to pray. That's why he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And while he was there, he ordered them and urged them to pray. Remember, we saw this a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 22, verse 46. Jesus says, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. This is what he had in mind. That if Peter had prayed for the grace of God and the strength of God against temptation, God would have provided him with the grace to stand for Christ in this moment. But he didn't. He was too tired. He fell asleep. And if you have a daily prayer life as a Christian, which you should, I wonder how much of your daily prayer life or how much time or how often you, you, you ask God, give me the strength to say no to temptation today. Not just the temptation to deny Christ, but all kinds of temptation. And yet that's what Christ urges us to do. Make part of your, your discipleship as a Christian, part of your daily walk with God, the prayer to God for strength and grace to say no to the temptations you face, including the temptation to lie about your faith in Jesus Christ. This is how you prepare. This is how you prepare to overcome temptation is through cultivating the fear of God and through prayer. Now, I, I would be wrong to not talk about the final element of this. I mean, Peter clearly fails here. And he feels the sorrow of his failure deeply. At the end of the passage, in verse 62, after Jesus looks at him and, and Peter remembers what Christ has said, verse 62 says, and he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter knows he has failed the test that Jesus prepared him for and Jesus urged him to pray about. He knows he has failed the Lord. And so what does this mean for him? What are the implications of this? And the answer to that is this. We need to understand the grace of God. Christ promises forgiveness when we repent after denying him in fear. I'll be honest with you. As a Christian, there have been times when I haven't been as honest about my faith in Christ as I should have been. I don't know that I've directly denied being a Christian, but I've certainly downplayed it. And as I look back on those moments in my life, I feel ashamed, ashamed of my fear and ashamed of my powerlessness as a Christian. And yet the Bible offers us the assurance of grace and forgiveness when we repent after denying Christ in fear. Remember earlier in this, in this very chapter, in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat. That's what's going on here. Satan is trying to separate the disciples from their faith. But verse 32 says, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, that is, when you have repented, when you have changed your mind, strengthen your brothers. Christ was 
telling Peter in advance that I'll be there to forgive you when you turn to me for forgiveness. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through, uh, through 13, we find a very interesting passage of Scripture, one that's very helpful for us in connection with this truth about uh, preparing ourselves and not lying about being a follower of Jesus. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13 says, Here is a trustworthy saying, if, if we died with him, we will also live with him. This talks about how we became a Christian. Christ died for our sins. And when we trust him, the Bible says God applies his death to us. That's what it means that we died with him. It's a judicial thing, a spiritual thing that God makes us, uh, gives us forgiveness in the sight of God. But verse 12 says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. This talks about our perseverance. Once we become followers of Jesus Christ, the Bible says a true follower of Jesus Christ will continue following Jesus for the rest of his life or her life. If we endure the persecutions and temptations and we don't turn our back ultimately on Jesus, the Bible says we will reign with him. This is God's promise. But then it says this, if we disown him, he will also disown us. Now, here's a, an aspect of this that I could have talked about, but I didn't for sake of time. And that is, Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. He says, those who are ultimately ashamed of being a Christian aren't Christians at all. And the Bible talks about this in many ways. How does Peter not fit into that category? He disowned Jesus three times. So how was he not disowned by Jesus? The answer is given at the last phrase in this, or the verse 13, where it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Peter did not truly disown Jesus in the sense that he walked away from him and never returned. Peter was faithless. And Christians, true believers in Christ, can be faithless at times. There are times when we are unfaithful to our commitment to Jesus Christ. But in those moments, God is faithful. Christ is faithful. It says, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. So if you're here and maybe you've, you're, on, you're coming off a failure to identify with Christ, maybe this is fresh in your mind because it's just happened to you, and you're wondering about whether or not you belong to Jesus, the answer isn't whether or not we sometimes fail to, to own our faith in Jesus Christ. All of us have weaknesses and can be tempted. The answer is, do we receive the grace of God and forgiveness? Do we turn in repentance? and receive God's forgiveness for our faithlessness. And if that's where you are, if you are feeling like a failure because you haven't owned your discipleship like you should, let me urge you to turn to Christ for forgiveness, to come back to Him, and then fortify yourself to prepare. Fear is something we deal with on a daily basis, especially with regard to our faith. And so the Lord would tell us to prepare yourself so that fear won't tempt you to lie about being a follower of Jesus Christ. 